Hello everybody, my name is Jordan Lorenz and this is my UFC 259 recap. The show happened last night and full disclosure, just going to get this right out of the way. Drew and I recorded our pilot Saturday night and that is going to drop Monday morning. So every single Monday we're having these episodes drop. We just want to keep it uniform and make sure it's all good to go. So that pilot, I kind of previewed this show. I just mentioned some things. So that'll be dropping on Monday, this 259 recap dropping right here today on Sunday. So might be a little confusing when you go and listen to the pilot and you hear me talking about fights that already happened, but I just wanted to lay it out, wanted to talk about it, and here we are today now. Here I am, just me, solo act, Jordan Lorenz, talking about this show that happened last night. Three title fights on the pay-per-view. It was a night where the light heavyweight champ retained his title ending Israel Adesanya's undefeated streak, giving him his first ever loss. Amanda Nunes continued to prove why she is the undeniable greatest women's fighter of all time. And then big time controversy in the Bantamweight title bout. We'll talk all about it here, but we obviously got to start early on. There was one prelim I wanted to mention. One of the judges gave it 30-27 to one fighter and 29-28 to another fighter. I just think that is absolutely absurd. For those of you who are unaware of how scoring works after each round in the UFC, it's a 10-point must-scoring system. So the winner of the round, which none of the winners are announced till the end of the fight. It's not like a round ends and they say who won the round. So just trying to educate those who aren't fully aware of how it works. Whoever controls the most, lands the most strikes, has control time on the ground, you know, takedowns, all of that is into consideration for when it comes to the scoring. And mostly, it's a 10-9 round. So whoever won the round, the judges will give 10 points to, and the loser gets 9. But as we'll talk about in the main event, there were two 10-8 rounds the judges gave. A 10-8 round would be if someone absolutely dominates the fight, whether it's on the feet, just five minutes of punching away, opponent doesn't go down, or if it's on the ground, if they get a takedown early and have control for the whole five minutes and are doing something with it, that almost likely wore in a 10-8. So 10-7s are very, very rare, but it could happen from time to time. 10-8s aren't that common either. Thankfully now, more and more judges are seeming to give 10-8s, but it's just a fine line between that 10-9, 10-8, pretty much just a judgment call. But going back to that prelim fight, one, one judge is saying one fighter won all three rounds, no problem, right? Then another judge was saying, that other fighter won two of those rounds, and then the fighter who actually won the fight only won one round. So it ended up being a split decision instead of a unanimous, and this is where judging becomes a huge factor because we've seen time and time again judges get the decision wrong, and that indeed happened to Tiago Santos, many think, way back when he fought John Jones. We'll talk to that when we get there, but that's why you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. You never know what they're going to do, and it's just wild to see 30-27 scored for one fighter, which means a dominant three-round-to-zero win for him. And then another judge says he lost two rounds to one. I just don't understand how there can be that much of a difference between these judges. Dominic Cruz was the highlight, the featured prelim bout. That's the word I was looking for. And then after, he had a very odd call-out. Joe Rogan called it political. I don't understand why he called it political afterwards. It was just kind of random, but... Cruz gets a win, so good for Dominic Cruz, and now he, we're going to see what's next for him. He's 35, I think they said. It was his 8th or ninth UFC fight. It feels like he's been around forever. He's looking older, too. Like, when you see him fight, it doesn't look like the same Dominic Cruz 
looks-wise, but performance-wise, he's doing some really good things. So Cruz still getting at it. Definitely one of my favorite analysts and commentators when he does his work. For this show, it was Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and John Anik. Joe Rogan only does the United States pay-per-view, so that's his thing nowadays. Anytime there's a pay-per-view, basically at the Apex in Las Vegas, because that's where they're all taking place, either that or Fight Island and Abu Dhabi, and he's not doing those Abu Dhabi shows. So it was those three on the call here tonight. I really wasn't a fan of what they did with the main event. It made it seem way one-sided for Izzy when, in reality, it really was not. So like I said, we'll talk about that when we get there, but we got to start with our opener. Tiago Santos and Alexander Rakic. Rakic gets the win by decision. Three rounds. He beats Tiago Santos. 14-2 now overall. Santos is slumping lately. Ever since he lost to John Jones. Lost in air quotes. That was back July 6, 2019. Tiago Santos was fighting on one leg basically towards the end of that fight. And some still think he did enough to win. But judges said uh-uh. John Jones won that fight. And then Tiago Santos from there lost to Glover Teixeira, and here he is losing to Rakic. So that's three straight losses for Tiago Santos. He really hasn't been the same since that John Jones fight. Rakic is moving up in the rankings. I'm pretty sure he was number four last night, so maybe give him one more fight, or I think he'll maybe just have to wait it out because most likely Blachowicz and Teixeira is going to be the next title fight, and then Rakic gets it, or... Is he going to have to fight someone else? That's what we're going to have to see. But dominant performance, three rounds. It was basically all Rakic. Santos is not looking like himself ever since he's had those knee problems. And Rakic even said it after the fight in his interview. He said, I've had knee surgeries. He said it was on his left knee, I'm pretty sure. And he knew what Tiago Santos is going through. And it takes a long time to get back. And Rakic, 14-2 and two overall in his career. So he's doing mighty fine things suiting himself well and Santos on a three fight slump he's not doing too well as of late gonna see if he can rebound hopefully he fights one more time this year because it'd be a long layoff if you go from March 6th to not fighting until 2022 I mean two three fights a year is ideal but last year Santos only had that one fight to go over to Shara and that was November 7th so he went from July 6th 2019 repaired himself, got back, fought Glover November 7th, so basically a year and a half there, and then from November to March, that's not a bad layoff, that's what, six months, five months, December, Jan- five months basically, four months even, yeah, so not a bad layoff at all, if you're fighting every four months, that's three fights a year. Next up was lightweight division, Islam Makovic goes over Drew Dober by submission, huge win for Makachev, I don't know why I said Makovic. Makachev gets the win. He's 19-1. and one. He's got Habib Nurmagomedov in his corner. Habib is retired, they say. So is Islam the next Habib in the lightweight division? We're going to have to see because this was a dominant performance. Drew, Bo- Drew Dober, besides the Nunes and Anderson fight, I think this was the easiest one to bet on that Makachev was going to come out on top. And indeed, indeed, he did. It was just a wild submission. It wasn't really anything special. He had Dober on the ground in that third round, and he just put pressure on. He had his arm locked, and with that shoulder he was pushing up, he got under the chin, and it was a nice, brutal-looking submission hold that, not your ideal submission, but hey, a win is a win. Who really cares? Makachev comes out on top in that lightweight division. I'm pretty sure he was the 14 seed, and Dober was 15, so Dober going to drop 
not be in the rankings anymore. 23 and 10 overall. Ismakachev is now 19 and 1, and he's going to have a few more fights before he gets up into the oh so stacked lightweight division. It is a crazy lightweight division. We're still not sure what's going on with the belt. I really, 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 really hope they don't do Poirier and McGregor 3 in the summer like they talked about. That fight doesn't make any sense right now. Give Connor someone else. It's just, I don't understand why they would do the trilogy. McGregor won, what, seven years ago was when he won that fight. Poirier has been so dominant ever since, and his only big loss was to Habib, which there's no shame in doing that. Poirier beat Max Holloway. So can we talk about that for a minute? Max Holloway, the dominant featherweight king, basically, lost to Dustin Poirier. That is how brutal and great Poirier was, but he beat McGregor, and he's sitting atop pretty. We're just waiting to see what happens with that lightweight title. Is Habib coming back? I don't think so, or at least not for a long time. And now you got Michael Chandler, who just came in and put on a show, proving he does belong in this UFC division. So lightweight is stacked and add another name with Makachev going up in these rankings. He will be moving higher and higher as we move along, and I'm sure he's going to get another win or two under his belt in this year. He is so dominant, and with Habib in his corner, basically unstoppable. That is huge for Islam. Then, the big controversy, our first of three title bouts, and it is rare for us to get three title fights on a show maybe once a year, if that Pure Jan defending against Aljamain Sterling. Aljo ends up winning the belt by disqualification in the fourth round. It was, I don't want to say it was all Pure Jan because this was a pretty close fight, but I had Jan ahead 2-1 to one on my scorecard, which really doesn't mean anything when you think of it. But I thought Jan was winning the fight after one of the judges had it. 29-28 Sterling through three. Obviously, title fights are five rounds, so Sterling was actually up on one of the judges' scorecards. There was some bad blood between these two, so Jan obviously didn't do this on purpose with the knee to the grounded fighter. Go look up the video if you haven't seen it. It was brutal, and Aljo was still trying to get up. He wanted to continue to fight. When he was down, he even said, I don't want to win this way. I don't want to win this way, and how can you blame him? You win the belt by disqualification because Pure Jan threw an illegal knee. The big controversy in here was obviously Aljo, his knee was down. I mean, if he was up, if his knees weren't on the ground, that would have been a legal knee. But Sterling, his knee was on the ground, and Jan, one of his cornermen, said, just punch, just punch. Jan asked, he said, can I kick? And someone said yes. And that's when Jan threw that knee, and it ended the fight immediately. Referee stepped in, was it Mark Goddard? I don't remember who's officiating, but the official said down down he said down once or twice before it happened and once Jan threw that knee I think everyone assumed it was over because that was wild Aljo was down for a long time they brought the doctor in and it was crazy to me that they even thought of continuing this fight but because the official said down down and Jan basically he disqualified I don't want to say he disqualified himself on purpose but he knew what he was doing so to say, because the referee said down, even though one of his cornermen said yes. So Jan had conflicting things. One of his cornermen said just punch. One said yes, you can kick. The referee said down. And it was after the pay-per-view 
that I usually, once the main event's over and that interview's done, I turn it off. But after that, they said they had footage of this, of what happened, and Habib was there, and he could understand the language. So he was able to say what was going on in that corner. You could very hear, or very easily hear someone say, just punch. That was clear as day. And then when Jan asked if he could kick, someone said yes. Habib made sure to specify that that was a yes. They came out of that corner, and it's just terrible to see this fight go down this way. I wasn't a fan of them interviewing Aljo after the fight either. Like, get that man to the back. He needed some help to be checked on. He still tried to get up during that fight and continued, but thankfully they stopped the fight. There was no way that he was going to continue, and if he did, he was just going to get knocked out by Jan, and it could have been just terrible head issues concussion like a bad one because he got knocked down hard so Aljo is the champ now at the 135 pound division Aljamain Sterling is your new bantamweight champ Jan's 15 and 2 now Aljo 20 and 3 so Sterling's the champ but once they announced it he threw the belt down right away that's not how he wanted to win that's not how anyone wanted this fight to end the only rightful thing in my mind is to have these two fight again Maybe in the fall, or I don't want to say summer. I just want to make sure Sterling's 100% and he's back to his normal self. Because he looked, I don't want to say scared, but nervous maybe at the start of the fight. He was throwing a bunch of stuff, and it seemed like he was tiring. He was getting, he was fatiguing down the stretch. And I think Jan definitely would have pulled it out and retained his title. So Sterling got away with one here, but it's not like he was acting at the end of the fight either. I saw some people saying that, and that's just terrible thing to say he took one of the most brutal knees i've ever seen basically to the crown of the head he took it like a champ and went down and concussion for sure at the very least could be more for all we know aljamain sterling like i said he's your new champ and the only rightful thing is to run this one back whether it happens three months from now or five months from now let sterling recover let him get back and then i think we're gonna have a highly competitive rematch because this fight was, was very close so was our main event, which we'll get to soon, but something that wasn't close, Amanda Nunes successfully defending her featherweight title over Megan Anderson. No contest here. I'm pretty sure that's the word DC used, or it was a non-event. That's what he said. He said this was a non-event for Nunes, which really surprised me because I thought Megan Anderson, with her height advantage and stuff, could at least use the reach, try and do something for a round or two just to throw Nunes off, but uh-uh, that didn't happen at all. Anderson, they were talking about her eyes, how she just didn't look in it, and it's crazy because Megan Anderson is someone who said she's been preparing for Nunes for years, for years, she said, she's been preparing for this, she finally got her title fight, and this is what happens, two minutes, three seconds, that's all it took for Nunes to come on top by submission, there's no doubting that Amanda Nunes is the best women's fighter of all time, let's look at this, look at what has happened, in her UFC career. So she came in and in 2013, she won two fights in 2013, including one over Jermaine Durandaman. Then at UFC 178, she lost to Kat Zingano. That was way back when she lost to Kat Zingano. From there, she was unstoppable, basically beat everyone in her way. You go to UFC 200, where she beat Misha Tate in the very first round. Those two weren't even supposed to main event. That was a wild UFC 200 show. So many different things happened there. It was supposed to be John Jones and Daniel Cormier, but obviously stuff happened with John Jones. DC ended up facing Anderson Silva in a three-rounder in the middle of the card. It was a boring fight, but DC did everything he needed to do to win that. But before UFC 200, 
was UFC 196, where Nunes and Shevchenko did battle at the Bantamweight division. Shevchenko, the 125-pound champ currently, Shevchenko is basically the only one who's ever given Nunes a run for her money. And that's what we're going to talk about here coming up, that that's the only logical huge fight for Nunes where she actually would get challenged. Nunes knocked out Ronda Rousey in 48 seconds. So the only other person to beat Rousey was Holly Holm. And guess what? Amanda Nunes beat Holly Holm. So that came up later. Uh, UFC 215 is where Nunes and Shevchenko did battle. They won all five rounds. That was back in 2017. So basically four years ago since we saw that fight. And then, as I said, Shevchenko beat Holly Holm. That was in 2019. In 2018, Nunes beat Raquel Pennington and Chris Cyborg. She beat Ronda Rousey. So, Nunes beat Ronda Rousey in 48 seconds by knockout. And Nunes beat Chris Cyborg in 51 seconds by knockout. The two biggest names in women's fighting history. Nunes knocked them both out in under a minute. Absolutely insane. And then there's that Holly Holm win. It took four minutes to knock out Holly Holm, but she got the job done. And then a uh, decision win over Jermaine Durandamin. So that was in UFC 245. So Nunes beat two, Jermaine Durandamin twice. And then last year only fought once. That was on that June 6 card when she beat Felicia Spencer. That by decision as well. And then here we are, March 6, where she ended up destroying Megan Anderson in two minutes. Nunes has been an unstoppable force, and there's not even a ranking system at 145 pounds for the featherweight. That's how shallow the division is, and Nunes has basically beat everyone with any sort of name value. That division, whether you like it or not, that division was made for Chris Cyborg, and guess what happened to Chris Cyborg? She got slaughtered by Amanda Nunes in under a minute, and basically Nunes beat Cyborg in a Bellator, so Cyborg isn't with the UFC anymore. She's now fighting in Bellator. Nunes has no rightful challengers at 145 pounds. She's basically beaten everyone at 135. Juliana Pena called her out, but I'm whatever. I'll take it because anytime you get to see Amanda Nunes, it's a treat. She's the GOAT. Like I said, I said it in the pilot. That word gets thrown around a lot, but when it comes to Amanda Nunes, she is the greatest of all time, the greatest female fighter of all time. It said number one pound for pound women's fighter in her post-fight interview and uh, 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 I say switch that to get the women's out of there I think she's the best pound for pound fighter in the UFC no basically no one's come close to beating her besides Valentina Shevchenko and that's just a big decision if they're going to run it back or not Shevchenko is facing Andrade just Andrade that's coming up eventually so we'll see what happens there Shevchenko is basically the only other unstoppable force it seems there's a lot of good women's fighters, but when it comes to Amanda Nunes, she's the only person to ever defend a title in, she, well, there's been simultaneous champions before, you know, Daniel Cormier, Conor McGregor, stuff like that, but Amanda Nunes is the only one to ever successfully defend those titles at both weight divisions, and she's been jumping back and forth. This fight was at featherweight. Last year, she fought at featherweight. Then she defended the bantamweight title twice. And then it was featherweight and bantamweight in 2018. So she's moving around. When she's holding two belts, she's actually defending them all. And it is crazy, crazy to think that this this might never end. She might do this forever because why not? She's beating everyone left and right. She's like the happiest woman on the planet. And can you blame her? She even has a kid now, a one-year-old, I'm pretty sure, with 
Nina, Nina, Nina Ansaroff, or Nina Nunes, I'm pretty sure that's her wife, right? Nina, Nina Nunes, as they call her now, but I'm pretty sure, might be wrong on that, but either way, Mandy Nunes, the GOAT, and that's the end of story. So then it was our main event, light heavyweight championship, middleweight champ, Israel Adesanya, stepping up to challenge Jan Blasiewicz, the light heavyweight champ, Izzy weighed in at 200.5 pounds, so well under the limit, there's a huge size advantage for Blachowicz, and man came out on the top, it was close, it, was a, it wasn't one of the most entertaining fights in the world, but boy was it close, I was kind of worried towards the end that one of the judges was just going to be rogue and throw it to Izzy, it certainly didn't think so in my opinion, I was very shocked to see, it was 49-46, 49-45, and 49-45, I had a 49-46 myself, but there were some people, you know, 1919 through the first two, I could see that. The only round I gave to Izzy was round three when he really blurred it on. And Blachowicz certainly seemed afraid of Izzy in the third round when he got tagged. They had a wild exchange in that third round. Blachowicz hit a good one, and then Izzy came out on top. He hit him. I don't remember if it was a right hook or what, but he got him at the end of that exchange. And Blachowicz is going back. You know, he wasn't feeling himself after that. That was the best round for Izzy, in my opinion. One and two, they were kind of close. I mean, I could see giving round one maybe to Izzy, but I didn't think he did a whole lot. I thought Blachowicz's punches were just getting in more and doing more damage. Sure, Izzy pressured more. He was controlling the pace. He was kind of making it his fight, but at the end of the day, rounds four and five, oh, so dominant for Blachowicz. He took Izzy down with ease, and from there, just domination, boom, boom, was pouring shots in, especially in the last 10 seconds of the fight. He got some really good shots in. Blachowicz looked really tired after that fourth round. I mean, it takes a lot to hold Izzy down, but then imagine it the other way, how much it would take for Izzy to be on his back as Jan Blachowicz, probably 225 at the time weighing, so definitely 20-pound plus weight advantage, and you're holding that boy on top of you. Izzy's not used to that. He's used to those middleweights where he's getting his way and he's doing everything possible to win those fights. This was his first loss. He's now 20-1. and one. Blachowicz handing his first ever loss to Style Bender as Real Adesanya. Commentary made it seem a lot closer than it was, and I think that was influencing some of the scorecards online as you're listening. I don't think Izzy was doing a whole lot to win those rounds. I mean, maybe the first and third. That's about all I would give Izzy, and the first was pushing it. The third was kind of close too, but I don't think it's a 50-45 fight. I was very surprised, though, to see those judges give 10-8 in the fifth round. It was about three, three and a half minutes control time for Blachowicz. It's not like he was pouring it in. It's not like he was punching left and right towards Izzy on the ground. He was kind of just holding him down and very content in doing so. And why not, right? Defending that belt for the first time. The way he won it was back last year when he knocked out Dominic Reyes in that second round. Blachowicz, he's been hot lately, so he beat Izzy. Beat Reyes, beat Corey Anderson, he beat Ronaldo Souza, beat Luke Rockhold, beat Nikita Krylov, beat Jimmy Manoway, beat Jared Cannonier, beat Devin Clark, and then lost to Alexander Gustafson back in 2016. So let's see that. Oh, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. He lost to Patrick Cummings at UFC 210 in 2017. I missed that one. So. So he beat Devin Clark and Jared Cannonier, so that's two wins. And then uh, it's four. 
Oh, I am wrong again. I am missing. There's three fights, and they're not all fitting on the thing. He lost to Tiago Santos back at um, in Prague in 2019. UFC fight night 145. Santos beat Blachowicz, so he beat Rockhold Souza, Reyes, Anderson, and Izzy. So that's a five-fight win streak for him. Yeah, I missed that Tiago Santos loss. I forgot about that one before. That was Santos' last win before the John Jones fight. So that is wild. Five-fight win streak, but Blachowicz has beaten all the big names. And the next big name, Glover Teixeira. They talked about him a lot towards the end of the show last night. Glover is one who beat Tiago Santos, as we said before. Glover beat Lionheart Anthony Smith. He beat Nikita Krylov. He beat Hudebela. And then he lost to Corey Anderson back in 2018. So Glover Teixeira is on, what, a four Oh, he also beat Carl Robinson in 2019. So he's himself is on a five-fight win streak. It's going to be the battle of five-fight win streaks. That's got to be the only fight to make Max Glover is the number one contender. So I'm assuming that's what we're going to see, and I'm very excited. That'll be a very good fight between Blahovich and Glover Teixeira. I think that'll be great stuff when those two do eventually lock up. So, yeah, that was UFC 259 where it was. 25 minute mark five minutes of fight basically if you want to do it that way i think this was good i think this was a very good recap talked about everything got all my thoughts out there from last night it ended at about 12 30 so it's not like i was going to go record right after that i was a tired boy to get my sleep that's a long night three and a half hours the fights took but when you have three title fights and then you have that disqualification which took up quite a bit of time as well thankfully nunez ended it nice and early and we didn't have to worry about that. Next week, March 13th, is our next fight night. Leon Edwards against Bale. Remember the name Muhammad. Both those fighters, 18-3. and three. It is going to be a huge fight night. 7 o'clock start time on ESPN+. Plus. So if you don't have Plus, you're not going to be able to watch this card, which includes Big Ben Rothwell, the Kenosha native, 38-13. and 13. He's taking on Felipe Linz. On that card, Dan 50K EJ is also in action against a tough 13 and 1 Gavin Tucker. Angela Overkill Hill will be fighting, and then one of the ones I am looking forward to, Manel Cape. Cape Cape, I don't remember how you pronounce it, but he debuted just one month ago, February 6th, on the Overeem Fight Night card. He lost to Pantoja. He came in with a lot of hype around his name. He's just 27 years old. He's fighting again, so a one month layoff. He wasn't happy with his performance in that decision. He is fighting Matthias Nicola coming up in that fight night next week. So just a one-month layoff for him. He'll be right back in action. And then our next pay-per-view is taking place this month, March 27th, 20 days away. Not often we get two pay-per-views in the span of a month. I think this is just a four-fight main card. Unless they go ahead and add something. But as they advertised the last night, it was only four fights. Website says only four fights. And they are four huge fights. I love every single one of these. This is a massive card. Sugar Sean O'Malley will be taking on Thomas Almeida in a Bantamweight fight. That is going to be awesome. Those two are going to go at it. I am much looking forward to that. Tyrone Woodley back in action as he takes on Vincent Luck. 19-6-1 for Woodley. 19-7. And one for luck. Those two are going to go at it. Featherweight title on the line. Yes, we have two title fights. Five title fights in the fight of March. Three on this 259 card. 
that just happened in two on this UFC 260 card. Volkanovski will be defending against Brian Ortega. Boy, am I excited for that one. 22-1 against 15-1. Ortega is a beast. But Volkanovski is the man who beat Max Holloway twice with air quotes because Holloway won that second fight. No doubt about it. Talk about the judges screwing someone over and not giving them their win. I think wholeheartedly, not everyone, but most people would agree that Holloway won that second fight between Volkanovski. But the way Holloway fought on that ABC card earlier this year, oh my goodness. Max Holloway is going to come back with a vengeance. And then our main event, Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngani. Miocic 20-3, Ngani 15-3. These two will be going at it. Miocic beat Daniel Cormier, retired him last August and that was their trilogy fight DC won the first and that's basically what Stipe's been doing lately Stipe lost the first back in 2018 in 2019 Stipe beat DC and then in 2020 Stipe beat DC again in that trilogy fight so Stipe's last non-DC fight was Francis Ngani back in 2018 and Ngani has been building him up since building himself back up ever since that was a decision win for Miocic back on January 20th, 2018. Since then, Ngani has been a beast. Besides that loss to Derek Lewis, I kind of forgot about that. Back on July 7th of 2018 at UFC 226, Derek Lewis beat Ngannou. I forgot about that win for Lewis, the black beast. But then, Ngannou beat Curtis Razor Blades. Ngannou beat Junior Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez. Ngano beat Rosenstrike, and here he is, number one contender, our big rematch between Miocic and Ngani, taking place coming up March 27th, just 20 days away, so that wraps it up, thank you for listening to my recap, Jordan Lorenzo, you can follow me on Twitter at JordanLaw underscore PXP, stands for play by play, Drew and I will have our pilot release tomorrow, Monday morning, that'll be out, and then episode one taking place next Monday, and we get in the swing of things. We'll do occasional recaps or preview stuff like this. We've got a few fun things planned, so nice 30-minute recap coming your way with this UFC recap. Hopefully, you listen to it all. Hopefully, you enjoy. Maybe we'll do more of them. If they don't really get over well, then maybe we won't do any more, but I enjoy doing this, talking about it on a Sunday morning, bright and early, UFC 259, an interesting card to say the least. So thank you all for listening. Tune in to the pilot tomorrow, Monday morning, the pilot dropping. We will see you all next week.